Hey, here we go. All right, well, hey, uh, I want to welcome you guys. Crystal, you did awesome. You, you guys have been hearing testimonies over the last few weeks about people who've uh, given their life to Christ or had God do something in their life through a ministry that we call regeneration. So it's not for those who uh, only have certain addictions. It's really for anybody who wants to get closer with the Lord. And so if that is you, please sign up. It's going to be starting soon. Um, and then also, if you, uh, I want to welcome you guys to, yeah, Flannel Sunday, right? I have flannel on. It's not flannel pattern, so, but it still counts because I'm warm. It's, so hopefully I don't get too warm up here. Otherwise, I'll look like an old Baptist preacher, right? Well, hey, I want to welcome you guys. Um, to start off, some of you guys have heard about a guy named Bob Pierce. Who's ever heard of Bob Pierce before? When I say someone, I mean one, okay? Okay, Bob Pierce was a youth pastor turned missionary turned evangelist. And he would go over to Asia, to the Asian countries, and give youth uh, seminars, and he'd do, hold these campaigns, evangelistic campaigns. And there'd be tons of people who would come and give their life to, to Christ. In fact, it's recorded that thousands of people gave their life to Christ through this. So we should know who Bob Pierce is, but we don't. We don't know him as a missionary. We don't know him as an evangelist. In fact, the reason we don't is because there was a question that was asked of him that changed his life and his ministry from that day forward. On one of his trips uh, to Asia, a relief worker approached Bob and she was holding a, an, a little abandoned girl. And she said, Bob, what are you going to do about this girl? You see, she worked for an agency that just couldn't afford any more abandoned kids, any more orphans. And she knew that this guy was talking about having uh, love for one another. So she said, I'm going to see if he he's really means what he says. So she asked him, what are you going to do about this little girl? And the tug on his heart was strong. So he reached into his pocket and gave her $5 and said, I promise every month I will support this little child. And he went home and he couldn't, he couldn't stop thinking about this girl. And he thought and thought. And every month he would send money to this little girl so that she could be raised. And then he thought, you know what, that's not enough. So he'd go to Asia and he would photograph children. And then he would send them back to his American friends and say, will you please support these children? And the Americans, because of his compassion and his heart and, and what it meant for these Americans as they saw these kids who were abandoned without parents, uh, they started supporting these children. And in the year 1950, an organization called World Vision was born. How many of you guys have ever heard of World Vision? All right, you've heard of World Vision, but you haven't heard of Bob. Hey, that's probably on purpose, right? And then, so he decided this is how we'd make an impact. And then in the year 1970, he also started another organization called Samaritan's Purse. Who's heard of Samaritan's Purse? Okay, so he started two organizations built on loving people and loving these children. Both World Vision and Samaritan's Purse still exist to this day. And it all started by a man who was given a burden inside to see these children taken care of. And this morning, we're going to uh, be looking at another man who was given some news that tugged on his heartstrings, which eventually led to him doing something big. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. 
Let's read this together. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen was sitting by his side, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of, of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy." And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite servant heard this, it, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose at night, and I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon springs and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up, to the, up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of, of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But then Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Amorite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? You are, are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And he and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So, the story is story of Nehemiah. 
If you remember from last week, that when Nehemiah gets word of the condition of the Israelites, he is living in a town of Susa, which is the winter capital of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes would go because it was a nice, nice weather in that area, right? He was a snowbird. And so some of you guys are here now, or maybe you're not here because you're already gone, right? You've already headed to your second house in Phoenix, Arizona, which I would love to have one, so, or even be invited to one. So there you go. But so he's in King Artaxerxes. He had a job. Uh, he was the cupbearer to the king, which meant he tasted the food of the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned and it was safe. He lived in this plush palace, right? And uh, he had a, a pretty easy job, but it was also somewhat of a dangerous job, right? Because if he ate the food, right, he died if it was poison. But that's what his job was. And then his brother comes, he has a conversation with the condition of his people, the Israelites, and he tells them that the walls are broken down, the gates are burned, and your people are in danger. What Nehemiah did next is what a man does who wants to make a difference. What breaks the heart of God broke Nehemiah's heart. So, Sometimes God does things for us. Sorry, I'm all, my notes are all messed up. Let me go back. So sometimes God gives us certain things when, when we want to make a difference. But we don't know how we're going to make that difference. Today we're going to be looking at five things that God gave people who want to, make, want to serve him and want to make a difference. First, it starts with a God-given burden. Next, a God-given period of waiting, then God-given vision, God-given courage, the God-given plan. So first one, if you want to serve God with passion and focus, it begins with a God-given burden. Change always starts with a burden. Passion always starts with a burden for people. Nehemiah felt the great need and the disparity between his people and God's uh, great plan for them and God gave him a Holy Spirit-inspired burden. People who serve God with passion and focus over the long term typically have a passion for people. They're not living for themselves. They don't think, how can I uh, use my time, my talent, and treasure on myself? They think, how can, I, how can I use my time, talent, and treasure to serve others who need this even more? Uh, passion always starts with a burden. We need to be praying for a burden, praying for a burden for the people of Cody. And I asked that group, and I was out this morning, what are you praying for? What, do you, what are the big prayers that you're praying for? And some of us, we don't pray prayers of, uh, that God would give us a burden, that God would give us a, a burden for the people of Cody. See, God has a plan for the big C, Church of Cody. There's a lot of churches here who are preaching the good news of Jesus. And God wants to do something amazing through them, but he also wants to do something amazing through us, the Little C Church of Cody, which we call locally Outpost Community Church. That's where you're here, if you didn't know. You're here at Outpost Community Church, but there are thousands of people in this valley who are going to spend eternity separated from Jesus unless they hear about this good news. So what are we praying for? Are you praying that the people of this city will be transformed that the good news of the gospel will go forth, that families will be restored and marriage is fixed, that lives will be transformed. 
This doesn't start just by chance, right? It starts with a burden. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned and I fasted before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept. He had a burden in his heart. He was devastated because he knew that the lack of these walls being built meant that these people feared man more than they feared God. Receiving that bad news became a call for Nehemiah, a challenge to bring change that would glorify God through his efforts. Nehemiah, um, he wept. What injustices or righteous causes break your heart to the point that even from a distance, you're moved to weep? What is it that uh, when you look at this world, and I'm guessing that there's something in all of us, that we look in this world and we just go, man, it's not how it should be. Man, I wish that somebody would do something about that, right? Maybe God is putting a seed on your heart that starts with, with something that you know isn't right. It might be a group of people that are hurting, maybe those that have been abused, maybe those that have been neglected, those that have been abandoned, something that's weighing on you. It might be a need that you see and go, man, I wish that someone would meet that need. That might be the Holy Spirit speaking to you that maybe you need to meet that need. These are all examples of God-given burdens. They're things that disturb you. They're the things that keep you up at night. They're the things uh, that upset you on behalf of God and move you in a significant way. There's a quote from Greg Rochelle that says, The burden you bear often reveals the calling you embrace. Let me say that again. The burden you bear often reveals the calling that you will embrace. In other words, the things that tend to upset you will often drive you to compel you into a ministry to make a difference in the lives of somebody else. If God gives you a burden, then he expects you to use that burden and give it back to him through service. And it's important for us to notice that Nehemiah was one of these guys, but Nehemiah wasn't anything special, right? He was just a normal guy. He was, a, he was actually a servant living in a king's house that was far from his country, right? He, he wasn't uh, a priest. He wasn't you know, a prophet. He was just a servant. And God put a burden on his heart to do something about it. And he said, I'm going to take this. And you might say, yeah, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an elder. I'm not someone who's had formal training. And I really don't know much about this Bible that you even talk about. That's true. I mean, we're all sitting in this room and we all have different levels of where we're at with the Lord and where we're at with our understanding of the Bible. But God's placed you. And what Greg says, if, if God wanted somebody else in your shoes, he would put someone else in your shoes. But he put you in your shoes. You say, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm a normal, just a normal person with a normal job, right? A normal secular job. How can God use me? But what you do have is a passion from God about something that matters, and that qualifies you to be used to make a difference. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared us to do these things. He wants us to do these things. So the second thing that happens when we really want to be used by God and he's already given us this God-given burden inside of us, is often we have a period of waiting. Sometimes 
when we have a burden, we run, a hot, we run ahead of God and we say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm going to kick down doors that aren't open, and I'm going to make a way. But sometimes God says, hey, let's just put, push pause on that. I'm going to give you a time of waiting. Right? So the next step when we have a burden is to wait. Nehemiah waited four months before he actually did something. It says uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, now it happened in the month of Shizlev, right? That's when he got the news. Then in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, King Artaxerxes was when uh, he went and talked to the king. So that was a four-month period of waiting. Some of you guys go, man, that's not very much. Some of you guys go, wow, that's a long time. Right? How many times do we get news and we have all these emotions filled up and we, and we go, I'm going to go because my emotions are full and I'm going to go say what I need to say. Right? And sometimes it doesn't work out for us. Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah waited. And he waited for the right opportunity. And four months later, after he had already he prayed and he, he wept and he fasted, God opened this door for him to stand before a king who could do something about it. But he had to wait. A lot of us, uh, we read, or a lot of us that we read about in the Bible, a lot of people we read about in the Bible, um, were greatly used, but a lot of them had a period of waiting. Right? We just got through the story of Joseph. Joseph had a period of waiting. Not just, not four months. I mean, that was a, a life that he had to wait. He waited 11 years as a slave. He waited two years in prison before he's elevated out of that. And he waited another nine years before he was restored uh, and reunited with his family. 22 years in total, he had to wait. Did God give him gl- glimpses and little pieces along the way? Yeah, he did, but he, he, they, he didn't see God's fullness until the very end. That took 22 years. Noah spent 120 years building an ark for a flood that was promised. Abraham, 25 years before he received his promised son. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before being used to free the Israelites. David waited 15 years after being anointed king to finally take the throne. Hannah, Sarah, and Elizabeth all had to wait many years for their children. And our Lord Jesus waited 30 years before he started his ministry. Some of you guys are in a period of waiting. Waiting for God to answer a prayer that you've been praying time and time again. You've been praying this, and you, guy, and you think, man, God, do you even hear my prayers? Because if you did, if you loved me, you would answer my prayers right now. Sometimes God says, I hear you, but let's wait on this a little bit. All right, some of you guys are praying, and you've been praying uh, for a child Right? You're barren and you've been praying for this child. God, give me a child. Or maybe you've had a child who's gone astray and you're praying for that child to come back and you've been praying for years, but God just doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. Maybe you have a spouse who doesn't know Jesus and you've been praying for them, but man, God hasn't shown up. Or maybe you're in financial strife and you're going, God, give me, give me something. Open the door financially so I don't have to live this hard life time and time again. Right? Maybe, maybe there's other things in your life that you've been praying for. There might be people right now that feel like God has placed something on your heart, and you've prayed it, but you're not sure what to do next. Maybe it's a particular ministry on your heart, 
But right now, you're in a period of waiting. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the souls who seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know, the last thing we want to do is wait. We're not a people who are good at waiting, right? We wait, we wake up, and then we, we go about, and our, a lot of times our lives are made up of waiting, waiting in line, waiting in traffic, not so much here in Cody, right? But other places, when we wait and we wait, and we don't like it. But when we wait, it teaches us something. God teaches us something through waiting. He teaches us to pray. Let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 seems to be a prayer that he prayed over and over again. You know, there's 11 references to Nehemiah praying in these 13 chapters, which meant that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, right? How many times when people talk about you, they go, yeah, Bobby, man, he was a man, he's a man of prayer, right? Kathy, she's, a, man of pr- she's a, a woman of prayer. How many times do we hear that about ourselves? Not often do I hear it about me because I don't feel like I'm a man of prayer the way that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. But he was a man of prayer. He prayed over and over and over. And he learned how to pray in this time of waiting, and he he learned a couple things through waiting. He learned how to pray with zeal and with urgency. It says in in 1.4 that he says, as soon as I heard, he prayed and he fasted. Right? Waiting sometimes teaches us to pray with zeal and with urgency. Before God does anything powerful, before there's any move of God, there's typically... Desperate and urgent prayers. You think about some of these revivals, right, that happened. It was when people said, enough is enough. We need to pray. Nehemiah is urgent in prayer. What he he does first is is what I think sometimes we need to do. And some of you guys need to do this, but he draws a circle around himself. Says, God, forgive me, right? He confesses his sin. He does business with God. And some of us need to do that today. We need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, forgive me, right? You've been praying for all these things in your life, but you've never said, God, forgive me of my sin. And sometimes uh, that gets in, in, in the way because we do our own thing. We say, God, okay, cha-ching, bless me. God, hey, I, I want this. Cha-ching, bless me. But we, sometimes we need to say, God, man, I'm, I'm a sinner. and I'm so sorry. Nehemiah does this. You know, we need to walk in the light, not in the darkness. First John 1, 5 through 10 says, This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Man, sometimes we need to go before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming, Jesus, to do what you did on the cross. If you read in chapter 1, you see that uh, Nehemiah prayed with zeal. Have you ever prayed with zeal and passion that comes from a deep burden within? Prayed the promises of God, right? Prayed them back to God. God, you've promised this. 
God, you've promised that. I believe that you're going to fulfill your word, and I pray that it happens now. He prays with zeal. Right? He prayed to God and said, this is not how it should be. How many of you guys have ever broken down and wept and said, this is not how it should be. This world isn't how it should be. There's sin in this world, and God, we need you to rescue us because we can't do it alone. This isn't how you designed it. This isn't what you have written in your word. That's what Nehemiah was praying he, when he was praying with zeal. He was praying with passion. What, uh, what Nehemiah also learned through waiting is how to pray for opportunity. He learned to pray not for a miracle, but for an opportunity. <clears throat> Sometimes we pray for miracles. And we say, God, please speak to my neighbor miraculously, however you do it. Zap him, bring down that cloud, and I need you just to shake my neighbor. Right? But sometimes we need to pray, God, help me to have courage to go and knock on my neighbor's door. Right? We, we need to pray for opportunity, not always for miracles. Nehemiah prayed for opportunity. He didn't say, God, please send somebody. I'm too far away, but please send somebody to go and rebuild these walls. No, he said, I'm praying for an opportunity for me to go. I'm ready to go, God, but I just need those doors to be open. God usually works this kind of way. He says, I'll answer a lot of these prayers, but I'm going to have you do some of the work. Right? I'm not going to do all the work. I'm going to have you do some of the work. You've got to be faithful and go and do this. He uses us as people to help bring about a miracle in someone's life. That's what God wants to do. Next thing Nehemiah learned was that uh, how to pray without ceasing. Right? We see him praying 11 times in this book. That's just what was recorded. I'm sure there's even more times that Nehemiah prayed more than 11 times right, in four months. If this is what describes him, he's probably praying without ceasing. Ceasing doesn't mean that he prays nonstop, but it means he's always has a heart of prayer, and he's praying through every step. And so Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and he prayed in the moment of need. Right? We look and we say that he was afraid, and he stands before the king, and the king says, asks him a question, and what does he do? He, he pauses and says, I got to pray. And he prays there in a moment of need. Right? He had a posture throughout the day. Waiting taught him to become a person who turned to God in a moment of crisis. And I'm going to say something that maybe I want you guys to think about. Your level of Christianity is not shown up by showing up on Sunday. Your level of Christianity is not shown by showing up here on Sunday morning service, right? but rather how you encounter God throughout the week in the hard moments. Some of you guys say, oh, I'm a, I'm a good person. I show up on Sundays, and I'm a good person, right? And that's about it. But that's not your level of Christianity. Your level of Christianity is how you encounter God throughout the week. A quote that I love is, a, a man is nothing more than what he is on his knees. What are you on your knees? What do you do on your knees? Tells you a lot about what people are. Prayer should be our first resort but yet some, sometimes it's our last, right? It's our all-we-have-left prayer. God, I don't have anything left, so I guess I'm going to involve you, You're right? And that's our, that's our prayer. It's our, it's our Hail Mary, right? We're praying this to the God who created the world, and yet we still throw it up there like that, like, 
I don't know if you can pull this off. <laughs> I tried, I couldn't, but I'll give you a shot, right? And so we give it to God that kind of way. One of the most striking characteristics of Nehemiah is his recourse to prayer throughout his life. Those who are the boldest for God have the greatest need for prayer. Which takes us to our next point, which sometimes uh, God uses us and he gives us a God-given vision. Many Christians desire to use, be used by God, but they don't really have a vision. They don't really know how God's going to use them, right? They don't know, they can't articulate anything about their faith, but they want to be used somehow. A God-given vision will keep you motivated when things are tough, and they'll inspire you to see these things accomplished. Many Christians have a burden for ministry. I know I do. I have a burden for people. I have a burden to be used by God. But sometimes when I lack vision, and I don't really know, I don't have a plan, I, I'm just kind of winging it, God doesn't use me. So to pray for a burden, right? To pray for a time of, of waiting, but also to pray for a vision. God wants to use you, and he doesn't want to just use you and give you eternal life later on. He wants to use you now, right? In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and to have it abundantly. He wants to use you abundantly here on earth. Nothing is more exciting than being used by God on his mission, right? How many of you guys have ever been used by God to speak into someone else's life? It's invigorating, right? You, you leave and you're like, you come home and tell your spouse, guess what? Guess what I just said? Guess what happened? Guess what? how God opened this door? And you, there's more excitement there than a lot of times in our life. And that's what God wants. He wants to use us in those moments, right? Many Christians will give lip service to this truth, that very, but very few could articulate what God is going to do through them. They end up living boring lives that are pretty self-absorbed. But God is living on mission. And God had given Nehemiah a vision in his heart. Nehemiah 2, 12, it says, And I, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah was able to cast vision to the king and later the people. He included himself in this vision. Right? He, he was in the trenches with them. It's hard to inspire people if you aren't in the trenches with them. If you're saying, hey, you should, you should, you should, you should go and do this, you should go and do that. But if you're not in the trenches with them, it's pretty hard to inspire people. But it's pretty hard to be inspired yourself if you don't have this vision that God has given you. Right? When Sambalot and Tobiah heard of Nehemiah's plans, it dis displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They jeered at them and despised them. Right? Sometimes when you, have a, when you have a vision, it helps keep you focused. Even when trouble comes, when people come and they make fun of you and they say, you can't do this, you're not going to do this. Do you know who you are? You don't have training, you're not a pastor, you don't have this, you can't do this, right? But when you say, you know what, God gave me a burden. God gave me uh, a, a time where I learned how to pray and God gave me this vision. You don't scare me, person, right? I fear God, I don't fear man. God-given vision is usually bigger than what we can do on our own. It's going to make courage, to, it's going to take courage to help us step out of our comfort zone to accomplish this. So that's the fourth point. Uh, to be used by God, a lot of times we need God-given courage. 
This ordinary Jewish man in a foreign land decided to rise up and do something. He said, I can't be silent anymore. I've got to speak. He risked his livelihood. It says that when he went before the king that he was scared. He was terrified. Why? Because the king could literally, you're, you're a goner, right? He could have wiped him out. This was one of the most powerful men in the area. And Nehemiah was just a lowly servant. So he was afraid. He was also afraid because this is the same king that when the walls were starting to be built years before, he said, hey, let's push pause on this. He stopped the walls from being built. So Nehemiah was going, hey, the same same king that stopped the walls, now I'm going to go back and ask him to let me start building these walls again. That's That's scary, and it took courage. Nehemiah's burden for people, though, and his time of waiting and learning and his vision for the outcome prepared him to stand up and have courage to do something. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the ability to act in the face of fear. Nehemiah was courageous. He was courageous in the face of fear, right? It says, I was very much afraid. But the bravest people are those that stand up for others, even in the face of fear. He had a burden and a belief that compelled him to act, right? Compelled him beyond his emotion of fear, and compelled him to do something about it. Many of us claim to have beliefs and convictions, but if you're unwilling to stand up for your belief and convictions, you don't really have any. If you really believe that, uh, believe the things that you do, you'll stand up for it. You won't move when everyone is pushing against you, even when it's hard and it's scary and you're afraid. Sometimes, We need to speak the truth even when our voice shakes, when our voice cracks a little bit. Napoleon said that the world suffers a lot, not because of the violence of bad people, but the silence of good people. The silence of good people who have convictions, who have burdens, but they remain silent. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Nehemiah, he was a bold man, not afraid to ask others to help him when he knew uh, that someone could, right? He, he, was, he was afraid, but he knew that he couldn't do this alone. So what does he do? He goes before the king and he says, God, or king, I need you to help me out. He says, if, if it pleases the king to send me, right? He went on and asked for the official seal of approval of the king and said, send me letters for the governor's. And for the king to finance the project, right, because he needed timber. He needed resources to build these things. Nehemiah didn't ask because he wanted to take advantage of the king. Instead, he showed honor and respect to the king by inviting him in to participate in this worthy work. He knew that he was unable to provide these things on his own. He couldn't go and say, hey, I'm the cupbearer to the king. Have you heard about me? No, you haven't? Okay, right? He couldn't go and say, hey, I'm going to uh, take this wood, this timber from this land because my name's Nehemiah and I'm a cupbearer of the king. They would have laughed him off. So he said, I need the approval of a man who can give me the resources to do these things. He went and asked a big ask, right? This was a big, big, big ask. And he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have courage and I'm going to go for it. And God found favor in this man. So Nehemiah showed the king how he could be used to be a part of God's story, even though he's afraid. Fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. 
Courages of the Lord. Nehemiah had a God-given courage that was all part of God's plan. That leads us to a next, next point, that Nehemiah had a God-given plan. You know, God is a, he's a God of planning, right? He created the earth. He knew what he was doing. He, uh, in Psalm 33, 11, it says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. From the beginning uh, of time, God is a God who, he's a God of order, and he's a God of planning. He knows. God made a plan, and he carried it out throughout history, and he continues to carry it out through history, through us. Sometimes it may seem like God blesses a lack of planning, right? And all you got to do is have faith. If you have enough faith, God's going to bless it, right? And sometimes we go about that, and there's truth that we need to have faith, but sometimes God asks us to plan a little bit. Sometimes the people who plan are the people who get things done. The people who wing it step out and go, ah, I probably should have pulled back a little bit. Probably should have waited a little bit. Nehemiah said, hey, if I'm going to do this, I've got to have a plan. And he did. God works through planning. In Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of his delight lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. Right? So sometimes we say faith, that's all you need. But it's no substitute of planning. We aren't any more spiritual for failing to plan and improvising. Living in full faith. There may be sometimes when we simply just can't plan and God wants to use us and we go and do it. But, but sometimes when we plan, it's great. Listen, I'm not a, a guy who can get up and spout for 45 minutes. I have to plan, I have to write, I have to do these things, right? Some guys get up here and they spout and they can uh, go 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and then, and then you, you leave and you're like, man, what did he talk about? There's a ton of great stuff. I don't know what, how it connected. I, I can't do that. I'm not one of those guys, so I have to plan. And Nehemiah learned that through waiting, uh, through this time of waiting, that he developed a plan. He didn't go before the king and say, God, king, Please bless me as I go. King asked him a question that could have just shot down all of this in the water. Tell me how long you're going to be gone. Nehemiah knew because he had planned. He convinced the king to let him go and rebuild. And this wasn't a small ask either. Nehemiah asked, get this, for short, I don't know, 12 years of leave of absence. Right? How many of you guys can go before your boss and say, hey, I have a question. Um, can, can I have some time off? R- roughly about 12 years. Right? That's essentially what Nehemiah was doing. Can I get 12 years off, right? Oh, also, can I uh, name drop King Artaxerxes a little bit to some of these people so I don't get uh, killed or uh, pushed off? So I, I, he needed to travel in, in uh, safety, right? He also said, and can I have the keys to your lumber store because I don't have any resources. Can you just give me those? Oh, also, uh, I, need, I really need uh, your, your people to protect me as I go as well. Right? Nehemiah had a plan, and what did the king, king didn't laugh him off. King said, all right, yeah, let's do this. We can do that. But it was because Nehemiah had a plan. And so, and then he also had a plan to rally the people because he couldn't do it alone and how to start the construction. They eventually had to act. He planned as, as if he expected God to answer these prayers. And sometimes I think when we pray, we don't expect God to answer prayers. We pray with little, little, little faith. And we say, I doubt God's going to answer this, but let's just try. He prayed with faith. He planned with faith. He waited with faith. 
right? And God used him and gave him a vision to do something big, right? He had courage. He had faith in God who rescued some of these other people from pretty tough times. He, he said, hey, if God can rescue them, he can rescue me. So he, he led and lived in faith. You know, making a difference starts with a burden, but ends with a carried out plan. So what can you do right now to help carry out the plan to help pe- see people of Cody turn towards Christ, right? How can we mobilize the gospel in Cody, Wyoming? How can you serve people in this local body? Some of you guys have a burden for people, but you just don't really know how to get going. And you may not be a Nehemiah. You may be just one of the people who helps rebuild the wall that we never hear about. And that's fine, because guess what? The walls got rebuilt, and that was the purpose. You may just be a person who, who picks up a rock and says, this is what I can do. Right? You may be a person who brings, brings the food to the people who are building the wall, and you're like, this is what I can do. You don't have to be a Nehemiah. You don't have to rise up and lead a nation, but just to do something is what God's asking us to do. And some of us in here, we go, hey, I want to be about this in Cody. I, I don't know how. I don't want to be a leader. That's fine. We want to be about that at Outpost Community Church. And so we've we come on Sunday morning so that we can equip and you guys can be taught and you guys can be encouraged by gathering with one another and then you guys can go and do it. Throughout the week, we have ministries that you guys can be a part of that you don't have to lead them, but you can pick up your rock and say, this is what I've got, right? We have regeneration starting uh, here soon, right? If you want to be a part of that, then you will talk to the Dana Millers or the Hoovers and you'll say, hey, I want to be a part of it. I can't really do this, but maybe I can come and I can, I can watch kids. Can I do that? Yeah. Bring that rock, put it on the wall. Or maybe you're here on Sunday and you're like, well, I, don't, I want to get involved, but I don't know what it is, right? We have a lot of different ministries that you guys can get involved in. And each one may not be the great vision, great plan that Nehemiah had, but it might be, hey, I want people to feel welcome here at Outpost Community Church. So what can I do? I have a great smile. I have a great personality. You know, where would we put you? Hey, why don't you greet people, right? It's important to be greeted and to feel loved when you walk in these doors, right? Or, hey, I have a great organization, and I really hate when people park all crooked, right? Then you go to Sean Trotter and say, hey, Sean, can I be a part of the parking team, right? There's ministries. We have audiovisual Guys sitting in the back closet. You can't see them because we put them in a closet, right? But we, need, we have needs. Click in slides, right? You're like, I can, I can click. I can click pretty well, right? Forward, backwards. You're, you're qualified, right? That's you picking up that rock and saying, I'll put it on this wall. I can't, I can't do much, but I can do a little bit. So audio, visual, we build slides. There's a, a whole team that works on making it so that you can sit comfortably there. You can, you can see the screen. You can see the, the passages, right? There's also a connecting team. You're like, hey, I'm a great connector. I can help bring this person from here to here. I want them from when they walk in the doors to being a fully devoted follower of, of Jesus through uh, what we do here at Outpost. Yeah, I can be a part of this connecting team. Or maybe you're like, man, I don't know. I, I hate talking to people. I hate when we uh, get up and we greet people. If you're that guy who goes and stands in the back because you don't want to talk to somebody, I, I'm calling out one person in particular. I don't know where he's at, right? But maybe you're like, hey, I'm go- you go back there and you get a cup of coffee. Maybe you become part of the coffee team right? It's something that's simple. We have front lines, which is our greeting team, which is our, our, our parking team. Uh, kids check in. I don't like kids, but I, I want them to know about Jesus. Well, check them in, 
You just go and you just stand back there, you greet them, click, 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 right? You're good at pushing buttons, there you go, right? Or you want to be the person who says, I love kids and I do want to teach them, sign up for kids ministry because that is a way that we can help propel the gospel forward through our young children, right? Student ministry, talk to Addison. Parking team, I already said that one. Worship. Up here, we had kind of a skeleton crew. If you have gifts that God has given you, right, a talent that you say, I can use this, use it. So we need people on the worship team to help bring us into a heart of worship on Sunday mornings. Okay, there's all kinds of ministries. We have some that we've started called the care team. Care team is multifaceted. Right? It's our banner ministry for how we care for the people of the body at Outpost, but also the community as well. And so we have things like uh, you can make a meal throughout the week for someone who, who needs it. They've had a surgery. They've had a baby. They've had just some tragedy in their life. You can make a meal just to bless them. We have that ministry as well. Then we also are going to be working pretty heavily with the adoption and foster care system. We've already got that going. If you're like, hey, I, I don't really want to... Uh, foster a child, but I can give some relief to this. There's a, a program called uh, Respite Care. I would love if Outpost Community Church was a place where we're respite care workers for those who are actually uh, serving this community by taking in one of these kids. So we can become respite care workers. If you say, hey, I have a heart for children, and I do want to adopt one. I do want to have uh, foster care uh, kids in my house. Let's be about that, right? We have uh, a care team that started that is about that. We also have a, a thing called the closet, okay? Some of you guys uh, have heard about this, but what it is is when we went to DFS, uh, one of the things was, hey, we need, when people are displaced, we need a place for them to go and be able to gather some clothes quickly so we can place this kid in this home. And so we started a closet, and it's, it's almost completed, but there's a little bit of work to be done some drywall needs put up, a couple more things, a little more organization. But what will happen is when people come and there's a kid who is now placed into a home, they can gather clothes, they can gather other items that will be needed for that, right? Or maybe you have neighbors and friends who they've just gone through a tragedy or a whole family's moved into their house and now they need some help. You go to the closet and you say, hey, it's free, but I, uh, so you don't have to pay anything, you just go. And it's supported by you and I people who have a heart, and we go and we give clothes, we give diapers, we give all kinds of stuff. That's called the closet, and we'll talk more about that later, but there's ministry to be had. And I want to uh, tell you guys that every one of you, if you are a believer of Jesus, and you're not being equipped to do the good work, then you're not in obedience to Jesus. So be in obedience to Jesus by doing the work. And I, I, I'm going to push Outpost Community Church, but if you're doing something in the community, that's awesome. Do that as well, for sure. And we want you to be using those gifts to serve Jesus. And so that is one way. You don't have to be a Nehemiah. You don't have to do some of these big and courageous things, but we are asking you to take the first step, right? Nehemiah, he took a first step, and God opened a door. And he took another step, and God opened a door. So in conclusion, I want to bring you back to the guy named Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce had gone to China as a nobody and quickly became a man of international stature. Having the ta tasted the fruit of ministry and the joy of walking in obedience to Jesus, he became a man with a purpose, 
a man with a burden in his heart. He'd written in his, the flyleaf of his Bible, and you guys have probably heard this. You might not have heard of his name, but you've heard this. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. That was his prayer. God clearly answered this prayer in his life. And a friend and a pastor named Richard Halverson wrote that Pierce, quote, prayed more earnestly and importantly than anyone else that I had ever known. It was as though prayer burned within him. Bob Pierce functioned from a, a broken and a burdened heart. So I want us to pray that prayer. Lord, let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. It's a prayer that will change your life. And I don't know what God's going to do when you pray that prayer, but I hope you pray it. It's a, it's a prayer that will open your heart, that will open your ears, and it will open your hands to do something. Pray it. I know it's a scary prayer, but pray it. Pray those big prayers that only God can do and God can answer, but pray them. Right? It may be uh, bringing food to those who are hungry. It may be bringing water to those who are thirsty. It may be uh, bringing clothes to those who are naked. But do it. Pray that prayer. Ask God for a burden in your, in your heart. Right? And then ask God to really use you. Not to pray for a miracle, but to pray for an opportunity. And then watch out, because I think God might be doing something. So, let's pray. Lord, I do pray this prayer, Lord, that you break our heart for the things that break yours. God, I pray that we will be a people who see injustice and run to it. I pray that we'll be a people who see a need and we meet it. I pray that we'll be a people that the town of Cody will recognize as people who love you and will serve you and give on behalf of you. Lord, help us to be those people. Lord, I pray that you give us a burden to make change. Lord, I pray that you give us the passion and the courage to be uh, about the things that you're about. Lord, open our hearts, open our hands, and use us, God. Lord, I know it's a scary prayer, but I do ask that you be with us. Lord, I pray that you uh, give us the courage to do the things that you've put on our heart already. And God, we do pray for those answered prayers that many have prayed uh, and many, many times, and we just don't know. Lord, I pray that you give us a heart of patience as we wait on you. Lord, be with us today. We love you. We see, say these things in your name. Amen.